Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I am the Grumpy Surfer and your host, Ads Lyson. On the podcast this week, I have a surf coach and a tech guy from one of the biggest online surfing programs in the world, Ombi, Ocean, Mind, Body and Equipment. In the podcast, me and my guests talk about everything from board design all the way up to surfing technique and some other random stuff as well. So please enjoy my conversation with an absolutely awesome guy, Luke Hardacre. Luke Hardacre, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. How are you? Really good. I've got three questions for you that I all start with. How are you? Where are you? And have you surfed today? I'm good. I'm in St. Agnes, Cornwall. Uh, I have not surfed today. I went down to the beach and it was semi-windy, pretty average and about 30 to 40 guys in the tiny little bay of St. Agnes. So I was like, yeah, no, nah, I might wait till uh, later in the day. That seems to be the sort of like the prevalent thing at the moment. You know, I, I've been looking at the surf cams the last few days because of uh, the swell we were talking about before we put this on record. And there's just so many people just sort of like in the water. I mean, it's a good thing, but, you know, it, it kind of puts you off a little bit. But it makes you go and explore those little recesses as well. Yeah, um, I think it's good in some beaches. St. Agnes really can't handle much of a crowd. And some days it gets up to like 60 people and there's one peak. And I'm kind of just like, when I see like 40 people in the surf and another 10 in the car park, I'm like, yeah, I'll come back on another tide when everyone's at work. That, that dawn surf doesn't happen too often these days. Yeah, I was on holiday down in um, down in Woolacombe, uh, mm. in North Devon, uh, a couple of weeks back. And the Woolacombe, I forgot how small it is. You know, there's, there's a few pubs right. there and there's a couple of surf shops. Um, there's a, there's, there's a quite a few, uh, good little, you know, breaks going from Woolacombe all the way back to Putzborough, you know, there's lots of little peaks there. And then mm. you've got Coombsgate and the, the, the rocky areas there that you can surf. But I was, uh, when the sun came out, there must've been about four, four thousand, four, five thousand people on the beach, like all the way uh. from the edge of the town or halfway along the beach, which is no, which is what, <laughs> two miles long. Yeah. It was meant I was like, where did all these people come from? I I don't get it. I don't know if you saw the photos for people who aren't in, in England, they probably won't have any concept of this, but Perrinporth, which is like one beach over for me, had 14,000 in last year's like that. Like everyone's allowed to travel now. COVID's kind of over. And I just thought there's not even enough car parking for 4,000 people. How do you get 14,000 people on the beach? And I saw the photo and it was kind of like a where's Wally game. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is mental. Like there's no capacity for that. Yeah, I, I'm definitely one of these people now that I, I definitely call myself a surf snob. Um, <laughs> I'm not one of these people that will go down when it's super windy. I'll wait for the good days. And when the good days are, I'll wait for a decent, you know, good groundswell to come through. And I'll and I'll go to those places, you know, I'll go mm. and find the roof breaks. I mean, we're quite lucky enough, Devon, as opposed to like you guys down in Cornwall at the moment. There is quite a significant amount of reef breaks around here. Yeah. Um, ones that people know of and ones that people don't. Um, you know, and there's only a couple in Cornwall, isn't there? Yeah, there's not really a lot of options. So like Aggie always gets busy because it's one of the few sheltered spots from wind. But it's weird, like when I went back to Oz earlier this year, if I saw 
some of the point breaks with like 200 people, I wouldn't blink an eye. I just paddle out and be like, cool, I've just got to outmaneuver them. But when I see some of the English beach breaks and it's 60 people in one peak, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm just going to be like dodging people. Like this is, you know, it's kind of a weird attitude to have. Like when I'm in Oz, I just don't even think about it. It's just like, you just know there's going to be that many people. How do you deal with that though? I mean, I get a little bit frustrated when I'm at Lynmouth and there's, you know, 20 to 30 people on like, the Blacklands Peak, and I'm like, you know, that's why I surf for mid-length because I like to cheat, yeah. and I get into it a little bit earlier than everybody else. But you know, when you've got 200 people in there, and you know, you've got set waves coming through, that's that's a lot of people trying to get the same wave. Yeah, um, it depends on the day. If it's not big, I will just like it's kind of a game, and I hate that it is a game. Uh, but Emerald players, whether we choose to accept it or not, but it's a game of positioning. And at a point break, about half the crowd is non-competitive. Like they are just fish in the water, sitting around splashing. They're too wide. They're too far out. They're five people on the outside. So I just kind of look at most of them and I'm like, okay, you're not even competing for waves. If I just position myself tighter to the point break and go closer into the peak of where it's breaking. So usually instead of paddling up the point, I'll paddle in to the side. And usually I'll be able to, if I'm paddling up the point, I'll be able to come in and get a wave underneath most people. On the bigger set waves, it's pretty crap when there's guys out there with long boards and you're on a short board or, or a mid-length because they're going to come from 20 meters out. And then again, it's the same thing. I kind of just look at them like closest to the peak has priority. So I'm just like, how can I put myself in that position to be there because that's the main thing because once I'm at the peak and I'm the closest one there everyone else is then dropping in on me but again then it comes into etiquette of like not snaking people and not paddling in like if I can paddle 10 meters to someone's side I'm like that's free game like yeah. they're sitting too wide when I'm on a beach break you know and I'm talking like Croyd or even Festival or some places like that some you know some well-known beach breaks I'm not one of these guys that like to sit in the pack with people you know, mm. you, you know, when the beaches are separated into different peaks. I'm definitely one of those guys that goes, right, there's a peak there. I'll go and paddle over, but I'll sit in like a space and I like 10 meters to my left and 10 meters to my right and in front and behind me. And I don't like anybody around me. Yeah. And what I find this, and I don't know whether anyone else does, but you find yourself in that little bit of space in a crowded lineup and then a wave comes through, you catch it and then you, you know, you kick out and you go to paddle out and then people follow you. And I'm like that fucking go away. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm probably not guilty of like coming over to another peak, but if someone's sitting exactly where I want, want to sit, if they catch a wave, I paddled exactly to where they were. I'm like, you've had your turn. Like I'm now moving to where you were and I'm like trying to give them the respect, but also them being like, cool, you've like, you've, you've gone, which I then also find super weird when if I've caught a wave and I paddle back out and I sit in the exact same spot I was before. And sometimes people give you these dirty looks being like, are you getting all the waves? And I'm like, I'm just sitting at the peak. Like you could have moved to where I was. You could have done so many different things. And taking the spot and i would have respected you but if you give me a five meter like radius around me and i can just sit in the same spot every time i'm like you know I'm, i don't feel like i'm doing anything wrong it's just like i'm just gonna sit where it's breaking and that's what you should do as well so definitely guilty of yeah seeing the spot that i want to be and if someone moves out of it i will jump into it straight away
I watched the new video that you guys put up onto um, YouTube uh, about Midlamps. I think yeah. it was a few days ago, and I, I was just laughing at little bits of it. Yeah. Because it, it, you know, when Ant was saying that, you know, he, he liked surfing his Midlamp because it was easy to get into things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you talk about longboarders and Midlampers. They normally, normally sit kind of like in the same sort of spot. I generally will move my my seven out where i would normally sit on a short board mm. anyway the only difference is is when you get those you know those fatter ones that come through that it's harder to get into in a in a lower volume short yeah um, for sure i can just jump on them and yeah like you say the, the you know the odd person looks around at you you fuck it <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely i think all summer i've only probably ridden my longboard which is a 9.0 log and I've just positioned the same as I would on a shortboard. And I think, yeah, there's quite a few dirty looks. And I'm, uh, I don't know, what, what do you do? You just look at them and be like, well, it's just positioning, really. Um, but yeah, I haven't got a mid-length. I'd love to get one. Um, I've been kind of coy on how many boards I have at the moment, just space. Yeah, I've got a selection, let's say, from 5.8s all the way up to... Um... A little five eight fish all the way up to uh i've got a nine eight sup um nice which is which is pretty cool i use it on my little local down here in uh in exmouth because it's you know normally fat and small but you know it gets you into something then gets you some yeah. rides and uh, i see guys out there on on shorter boards and stuff and then they just just really struggle really um, uh-huh. but I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day actually like exmouth is if you look at it geographically mm. i can't get out my words out <laughs> yeah. um it is the perfect like sandbar point break mm. but what's really annoying about it is you've got this really horrendous tidal estuary that pulls all the water out that moves the sand around a lot so it mm. stops the the swell entering into it but also where Dartmouth is, there's like a... Um, I know Dartmouth very well. Yeah, so it's got like that little corner. And I was just saying like, if I could get a laser beam in my fingers and cut that bit of land off right there and I just move it over and stuff would swing in, it'd be epic. <laughs> um, yeah, I did uh, COVID lockdown, the first ones in Dartmouth. And there's like those little beaches right at the river mouth. And the whole time I'm just like, Oh, if this wasn't just straight dead cliffs, there'd be a perfect little point break. There's all these little rocks. It'd be like a little novelty wave, but it'd be something. And just, yeah, the whole time I was just like, there's, there's never going to be surf here. Mate, we've been nearly talking 10 minutes and uh, I haven't really it. introduced you to who you are. So, uh, <laughs> mate, can you um, just, you know, introduce yourself and explain what your role is within the, uh, within the Ombi team? So... Uh, my name is Luke Hardacre. I kind of, most of my work is not seen by everyone because I do most of the back end behind the scenes stuff for Ombi. So managing all the websites, the app, the community, um, all the kind of business sided stuff along with Jeremy um, as well. And then I do do the Ombi podcast, which is also kind of, uh, I'll go on a slight tangent here, but it was a very odd, not something that I ever picked myself doing. Um, getting into podcasting, I kind of sent the message out to the guys being like, yo, I think like we should be doing a podcast. I think it's an alternative way that um, people will want to listen to the message, I guess we're putting out. And no one 
was responding to it and i was just like because i'm in england they're in australia and i was just like cool i can't be there in the room just be like i think you guys should do this because if people want to drive to the beach they want to listen to something short and quick about surfing um and i walked into the local surf shop here that uh is a coffee shop as well and i was talking to him and he kind of turned and looked at me he's like man you don't really talk much do you and i was like nah i don't really need to say you know too much um and we had this little back and forth little chat and then i said you know what's the funniest thing like i'm going to be starting to do a podcast he just looked at me in his complete disbelief and he's like what so you're going to interview people i'm like nah it's pretty much going to be me talking for like 20 to 30 minutes straight and he's just like i don't believe this so yeah kind of by like being pushed into a corner of like no one else wanting to do it and thinking that we needed to do it yeah i started a podcast which was an odd experience for an introvert yeah so that podcast is called in depth a surfer podcast or surfing podcast even yeah how do you find doing that on your own because obviously you know when i do them and i started it up i'm kind of interviewing stroke just mm. spinning shit with people really um it's it's quite difficult i've done a couple myself where i've just kind of sat there and just you know yeah at the top of my head i have found it quite difficult if i'm honest yeah really much harder than what i thought it would be um and i guess for those who are unfamiliar it's it's very much like 15 to 30 minutes of just straight surfing advice um i guess because there's already so many people like yourself who are giving out I guess conversations with people in the surfing world and i was like okay i just i like just give them the advice it's not really being done let's just do that i found it really difficult um and i started just by not giving any care to it i was just like i am just gonna throw things out there and the first episode was super rough and then slowly i started like adding an audio and other things to try and make it better and i still edit it super rough i'm just like it works it just needs to get it out there um when you listen to some other podcasts they've got so many like some of the true crime podcasts have got like background noises for every little thing that's said and i'm like i i'm like nah i don't need to be doing that local level stuff but i found it really hard because i also write a written guide so the whole podcast which then goes goes on the website for people to read so i got to a point where i felt i if i recorded it first and then tried to write after it just took so long. Whereas now, like I write it first and then I record the podcast from what I've written. And then that gives me kind of, I guess, dot points on how I want it to go and then found the flow. But yeah, it's, it's much difficult. I prefer the interviews because they're just easy. How do, have you had any feedback from what you've been doing? Um, yeah, I've had quite a lot of people when I did the, when you came up to the wave pool and we missed each other. Yeah. Um, quite a lot of people from the community are really enjoying the podcast um every now and then like this morning i got one where someone was like can you please explain this this detail a little bit more um so sometimes when something's clear in my head um and you don't have that visual aspect of like i'm explaining so this morning's yesterday's podcast was about steep takeoffs when i don't have that visual aspect to be like this technique is for something when it's double overhead you sometimes miss that clarification where having video and audio is is so much better but yeah the feedback's been good it's been going strong i think it's mid 30s of the episodes now which yeah um surprised me a lot i didn't think i'd be doing a podcast and then let alone getting close to 40 episodes i've got a bit of feedback for you as well 
Go um, for it. So when I went to Portugal with the Navy surf team in March, which was like my, my, my last sort of like official trip in the military, um, my, my two really good friends, uh, Andy and John, um, I showed them the Ombi content. They, they love it. Um, my friend John uses it all the time. He raves about it all the time, tells everybody. It's kind of like I go into his office every now and again. I just get locked in story about what his skating has been doing and stuff. I'm like, mate, you know I watch it too, right? Mm. You know, you don't need to tell me about it. Um, anyway, I'm diverting you a little bit. No, um, no, it's, it's super interesting to me. Yeah, so when we went to uh, Portugal, the waves were like really big, you know, like on the yeah. on the Ericeira coast, it was kind of like 15 to 20 foot. So we were Oof. driving every day from Ericeira down to um, Lisbon uh, around the Carcavelos area. I used to surf coach there. Yeah, yeah. I did a whole uh, season at Carcavelos. Um, what's the point break called around the corner? Um, oh, God, that is way too far back in my brain to remember off the top of my head. Anyway, that's where we were surfing. I know exactly where you, I know exactly where you're talking. There's kind of like right on the highway. It's off. There's a couple of yeah. rocks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing place. Again, perfect yeah. mid-length area. Yeah, yeah, really good spot. Uh, but they listened to the podcast you did about um, the mindset of surfing big waves, mm. and uh, and it really helped them because even though you know we'd moved from the north coast down to the south, it was still you know, pretty solid. There were some really good, big, solid swells coming through, um, mm. probably uh, big in what they would like normally be comfortable in. Um, I'm not saying like I'm a big wave charger or anything. No, like but, that, but... Yeah. big, big is just perspective, really. Like for what's big for my partner, who is um, somewhere in that beginner, low intermediate range, like big for her is shoulder high, head high. Whereas, you know, big for me is like when it gets overhead and it's like, you know, one to two times overhead, it's like when it's, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's getting really big. Yeah. I mean, that the advice that you gave out there about, you know, just, um, just kind of like focusing and, and mentally visualizing yourself doing the things that you're doing mm. on those waves and paddling into them. Um, I, it really, really helped them. So yeah, yeah it's awesome to hear. Have a chuck um, up, mate. Have a chuck up. <laughs> well, actually, what was really, I guess, interesting for me is that when I went back to Oz, I went and surfed um, with Clay. On And when we were there, it was through all the, the storms and the flooding, and there was just constant swell the whole time. And being with Clay is sometimes really hard to say no. And he's just like, looks at the games like, cool grab a board we're going and i'm like i don't even know what the surf's doing like what what's what's happening like it's just a whirlwind and we're in the car and we show up to the artificial reef which he just loves so like in somewhere in the gold coast they've just dropped a whole bunch of basically like stones and built this reef and it's like two to three hundred meter paddle out the back and i thought i was paddle fit when i went to australia and then i went back to the point breaks and here and i was just like i'm not paddle fit to do that far of a paddle but it was, um, it was double overhead and I was out of my comfort zone and sitting there on this reef break that I'm super unfamiliar with the, that whole episode about managing fear came really heavy back into my head. And then I also realized something else that I was doing to myself, which was that the, the fear of the event. So the fear of like going over the falls or being thrown onto the reef was worse than the actual event. So sitting there and anticipating it and being like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I don't want this to happen. 
was getting me into this state of like anxiety and stress, I literally paddled in and made it happen. I was just like, I've really just got to get this out of my head and just threw myself off the ledge and just sat there and everything I went through in that episode, which was just, yeah, just to let go and kind of treat it like a roller coaster. And it was just one of those things that I needed to get my head out of the, like, I'm on a reef break that I've never surfed. I don't know how it works and it's double overhead. Like clearly not the time I want to be trying to figure it out in a crowd. Uh, yeah. And it was kind of really mind blowing for me how horrible it was making me surf thinking about it. And then when it actually happened, I was like, so chill. Like, what am I worried about? Yeah. I think I must be some sort of psychopath. I think <laughs> I, I never really like think about stuff like that. I see it and I, and I just go out and I, you know, I, I tell the story, like I've only ever really nearly drowned once. Mm. Um, well, twice, but I got caught inside when I was at uh, airports in, uh, in Bali and uh, Kuta. Mm. And, uh, I just got stuck on the reef and it was just big and gnarly. And I just kept getting smashed by water. water. Yeah. That's, a, that's a boring story. So the other one was <laughs> I, I went down and um, to, to a reef and uh, it was about 7.30 in the morning in the winter. And I underestimated how big it was. Uh, paddled down on my own and uh, this this specific uh this specific break is if you got caught inside um you get pushed onto the rocks into the fingers Oof. and you don't want to be doing that basically mm. but there was a really there was a really big rip current dragging you back inside so the paddle to stay on the peak and on the like on the corner of it was uh you know you're constantly paddling all the time so you know you might watch the QS guys when they're at um, I don't know bells or somewhere like that when there's a massive massive swell running and it's really difficult to stay in one spot it was pretty much what happened and yeah. uh, I went to to paddle for one uh, set came through and and I missed it uh, and instead of being the bonehead that I always tell everybody else to do you know if you paddle and miss make sure you paddle back out again because you're not in the right spot. And I just went on the next wave that came through and I just got, I was too deep, mm. fell off. And then when I came up, I was like in the middle of one of these fingers and I could like stand up in the fingers. But Ooh. the issue was, is every time the white water came through, the white water was like at least a head, double overhead coming in. So every time I tried to stand up, it just washed my feet away from under me. <sighs> It mustn't have been that very long, but it felt like it was going on for quite a long time. But it got to the point where I was, I'm running out of breath. Mm. I, can't, I can't breathe. If I don't get up on the side here, no one's coming to help me because I'm on my own. There's no one else in the water. I was on my own at 7.30 in the morning. You know, it just turned, just turned light. And luckily I managed to scramble up onto one of the fingers and the cockles. I had a brand new wetsuit on that was all ripped. My board had a massive hole in the bottom of it. And I was like, that fuck you, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, I, if there's some notes in there that just that, what am I doing? Being an ignorant person coming to England, I had never surfed in anything colder than like 16 degrees water. We went to Wales in Feb 2020, right before COVID kicked off. Uh, and I was like, yeah, let's do a dawn surf. There was no sun on the beach. There was frost all over the beach. I had no gloves, no hood. Um, I had my fingers in my mouth trying to keep them warm. 
I was just like, what am I doing out here? Like, this is not okay. And then I was sick for about three days. I didn't realize how cold it was just like pure, like I had boots, but no gloves and a hood. And I was just, yeah, a bit of reckless, recklessness. Mate, I don't wear anything less than a four three even in the summer now. Like my mm. my body, I mean, I'm forty now. I'm not going to blame age or anything like that. But I I reckon the cold weather uh, environments I went to when I was in the Marines has definitely taken its toll on my uh, on my extremities. That's for sure. Yeah, I've uh, made the plunge. The three two's gone. I've I've got a four three and a five four, and that's it. Mate, I've got I've got three five four threes and a six four and that's yeah. literally like all i've got all the time i'm just wearing those i, I even wore my five four three when it got warmer like in the summer and like that <clears throat> nah, not getting cold anymore i think there's something about neoprene i just inherently hate so i try and get as minimal as possible yeah well you've got the luxury of coming from australia where the weather's yeah. super warm all the time and you come here like you know to you go even if you go to you know somewhere like france and the weather's only a few degrees warmer. Like, oh, I've got my board shorts on my rashi. It's redders. <laughs> yeah. I did board shorts the one day this year, like the hottest day of the year. I was like, stuff it. If there's going to be any day I do it, it's this year. It was all right. About, about an hour. And then I was like, all right, I'm cold. Mate, let's talk a little bit about your background. So you're obviously a, a, an Aussie, which is, you know, mm. it's no fault of your own. But, you know, how did you end up in the UK? And uh, also, you know, how did you end up hooking up with uh, with the Ombi guys and, and going through that sort of evolution? Um, I'll start with Ombi because that goes well back. Um, so in 2014, uh, Jeremy, uh, who's from Ombi, and I were running a surf club together at uni. So we used to, it's kind of mad because we were just a bunch of, uh, we're just kind of a bunch of dickhead surfers and the university was throwing funding at us to like run events and organize group things. And, you know, I'm kind of like, you look back at it in hindsight and I'm like, it's the last people you should be giving funding to. It's the last people you should be giving money to be like, go do things with it and like make your group bigger. So uh, Jeremy was there for 2014 and then he finished uni um, so him and I met then, and then I ran the club just by myself, 2015 and 2016, and it kind of just exploded. We had lots of international students coming. Like we had like, we'd do these like weekend trips of 50 people going down to Byron Bay and there'd be this huge weekend. We'd do a full weekend there, surf coaching and partying. But from that, we ended up getting like the group grew a lot. And then we ended up getting quite a lot more money to like do other events. And I was just like, I don't want to be stuck in learn to surf. Um, and I had a couple of mates and this guy said to me like one day, he's like, Oh, we've got an event at the local, like the only surf shop in like Brisbane at the time. So Brisbane's not on the beach. It's an hour from the Gold Coast where our university was. He's like, come along. And halfway through that night out steps Clayton. Um, no idea who he was or anything. But he gave this presentation and it was the first way that like, I guess this would have been 2015. Like no one had ever explained surfing in anything that was really tangible. Like everyone was just like, go surf more. Like if you want to get better, just go surf more. And here he was kind of explaining surfing in this way of like breaking it down to things that can be understandable in that if you want to go learn golf, you go to the golf range or you go to a golf course and there's a pro there who will teach you, but you don't really have that in surfing. And I've been a surf coach. I've worked at surf schools and I have a really kind of low view of them because a lot of the time there are some really good ones, but a lot of them will just like 
you're here to get your photo, you're on holidays, you're only doing this once, we're just going to push you into waves and no one really cares about those people becoming better. So I pulled him aside and I was just like, so what the hell do you do? Like, what is this thing? And he's like, I'm a surf coach. And I'm like, okay, so like I have this university group. We've got some funding. Like, what, what can you do? And he's like, he just pulled out his iPad and he said to me, show me your pop-up. And I had no idea what he was talking about. Like, what do you mean? Like pop-up on land? And he's like, yeah, like show me your pop-up. And I was like, I being a young, dumb, early 20s kid was just like, okay, whatever. I didn't take it seriously. Um, he filmed my pop-up and just ripped it to shreds. And from that point on, I was like, okay, like there's just complete tough love. Here it is. Take it or leave it. I felt like I couldn't give him any excuses that we, you know, young 20s males tend to have a lot of ego. It was a very just destroy my ego moment. So from that, I was like, okay, cool. Like, give me your numbers. We'll organize an event. And I ended up doing some training with him. And then I invited the rest of the group from the surf club. So we had like this big weekend trip where Jeremy came down and a bunch of other friends. So we started having this routine coaching from Clay for a little while. And then I left uni, fast forward a couple of years, finished up, went working. Uh, Jeremy and Clay had started, I guess what Ombi is now, probably 2016, 2017. They started like very slowly getting the ball rolling. So it's not like this, this COVID thing. It's been around for quite a while. It's just been like figuring out how they want to approach it. And then I went traveling for a year. Um, I used to be an engineer working in the coal mines and in the office and I had enough and I went traveling for a year. I came to England, so I'm dual citizen. I've got an English mother, um, but I consider myself 100% Australian, sorry. <laughs> no English heritage, it's allowed. Um, but then I came to England and I had a brother here who was working here. I stayed with him for a bit. And when I came here, all my friends who'd come to England just like left, like the minute I arrived on my traveling journey, so I was like, okay, what the hell do I need to do? I ended up meeting a girl. Uh, I then went traveling to, so I'd just come from Portugal working a season as a surf coach. I then had booked a season in Morocco. Um, and then during through that, we kept talking. And then fast forward to like 2019, uh, I then decided to move over to England because I was like, I'm done traveling. I got like offers to go to Sri Lanka to surf coach in Norway. And I was like, Sri Lanka wanted three sessions a day. And I was like, hell no, I'm not doing three surf lessons a day for next to no money. And Norway wanted half the minimum wage. And I was like, nah, like none of these offers are worth it to keep traveling. I've done a year time to hang up and get back to work. So yeah, I took the opportunity and moved to England. And I said, uh, I've got one year, one winter in me. Don't like the cold. Uh, it's now 2022. It's now three winters coming up to my fourth. So um, yeah, indefinitely here. But then yeah, Ombi, I think it was, I'd known about all the stuff going on with Ombi and its previous versions, or I guess where we were at. And Jeremy and Clay have been close friends for such a long time that they were communicating with me about it. And they were kind of telling me what was going on. And then it got to a point where like, oh, hey, we've done all these programs and these courses, like, 
what do you think? Can you have a run through? And I ran through and I just started giving them feedback and they're like, it kind of just developed from there that they're like, can you do more? Do you have more capacity to help us? And then it kind of just turned out where eventually like, look, can you just give us like, you know, as much time as possible. So that's been yeah, the last two years or so. Yeah. I mean, I've only been really sort of engaged um, in Ombi really since sort of like August, I, I was watching a load of the, uh, the online videos and stuff. And, mm. and that's kind of like how I got in touch with, um, with, with Clay and Ant really is, um, you know, I, like I do for a lot of these podcasts is I just message people and say, you mm. know, do you want to spin some shit and I'll ask you some questions and you can ignore me and speak about something else if you want, it's, it's up to you. Mm. Um, and then I found out that, you know, um, Ant was from Exmouth originally, which is literally like a mile down the road, yeah. which is mega coincidental. Um, he's a bonkers bloke as well. You, you didn't go out and witness his magic tricks in the, in the bar? No, no, not, not at all. I, I, uh, like, a, like any good person that has got a podcast to do research on people. And I saw like all the stuff they was doing and he didn't want to talk about, you know, any of the stuff that he'd been on, you know, he's, um, the, the TV he's shows. A very, he's a very interesting character with a lot of, a lot of layers. I've got a lot of time for him. Um, yeah, he's a good guy. And uh, yeah, you know, I I just started looking at it, and I was like, you know, this is this has got some got some clout to it. Mm. And then uh, you know, I got a little bit of access to your to your programs and started doing it myself, and it started helping. And I was just like, that. Ah, do you know what? This is this is pretty cool. Um, you know, you know, you look at the the world as it is now, especially during um, during and after the lockdowns uh, for COVID, is that a lot of the surfing programs went online. Mm. And there's quite a, a vast number of them, but I think, uh, again, you know, giving you a bit of a chuck up, the, mm. the content that you had and have now um, is by far the most user friendly, and uh, the community that's involved with it, which we'll talk about in a bit as well, mm. um, is is very unique. You know, you haven't got, you haven't normally got a, a program where you've got you know, access to a pro that you can just, you mm. know, send a message to and he'll get back to you. Yeah, it's mental. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Uh, uh, the access that Clay, Clay's on, like, I'm dead on social media. Um, I pretty much have it turned off everything by work. I've just kind of gotten to a point with it where, um, you know, I just don't want to have Facebook, Instagram, this and that. Like, I'd prefer to, like, call someone than, than spend my time mindlessly scrolling. But, yeah, being in the community it is mental how often Clay is in there and just giving out advice and seeing what's going on and watching people's videos. Um, yeah, he's an amazing person who has a lot of spare time for like everyone. I mean, to be fair to you guys, you know, you've got a lot of content that you need to keep on top of. I mean, I, I, mm. I went on before we, uh, we jumped on this and I think I worked out that there was 19 different programs that you have, and then you've got about seven or eight different uh, like levels of um, ability that that people have, you know, all the way from the beginner mm. up to like your surf coaches and your your shapers and stuff like that. That that have all got their own individual little like forums that they can, mm. they can jump on and and talk to. And uh, you know, you guys seem to be doing a really really good job with with staying on top of that and being present as well because it's quite mm. easy, I think, to set something up like this that is. You know, I think globally it's kind of grown quite a lot, especially since um, in the last yeah. year or so. Um, 
I will say something different to that because I'm actually quite humbly surprised by the Ombi community, like the people who are there, whether they're doing the training or not, who are just involved and understand what we do and show up and talk. Quite often I'll see something and someone will comment or write a post or post a video and say, hey, what's going on here? And by the time I see it, I've already seen five answers and I'm like, cool, that ticks the box there, that ticks the box there. I'm like, I don't really have much else to add. I'm like, it's it's mental that it's gotten to that point where people are going through the training and then they're training other people, you know, that are a level below them or where they used to be. Um, it's, yeah, mind-blowing quite often. I, when I was having a little look on there as well, I, again, I found that the most people on there have identified themselves as uh, being an intermediate surfer. Mm. Um, do you find most of the questions ab about surfing come from that sort of like genre of people? Or do you find like the spectrum of it is, you know, that the, the um, really sort of a platform? I find after having like spent several seasons working as a surf coach, people's egos and views of their surfing is so skewed. Um, what one person considers themselves as like an intermediate or an advanced surfer, someone else doesn't, it's really difficult. And I'm not trying to be negative on anyone, but a lot of people aren't very honest with where they're at in their surfing and they will like overestimate where they are. Um, but at the same time, like it really kind of doesn't matter as long as you're like working, like as long as you know where you are, I don't really care what you label yourself at. But a lot of people tend to fall in that intermediate like range. And unfortunately, like you kind of got to label it like a low intermediate and a high intermediate. There's such a broad spectrum between the two that someone who's trying to turn would be a low intermediate and someone who's perfecting their turns would be a high intermediate. And like, that's such a wide skill level between the two that it becomes really difficult. Um, so to get it back to your question, I think the majority of people in the world are like intermediates. And if I think of my friends, how many of them are advanced surfers and growing up in the, you know, in Queensland, Australia, I know quite a lot of surfers. And to be honest, not many of them I would call advanced like maybe two, two guys I know from a surf club were advanced, which is quite scary. But then I think if I put it into like football or golf or whatever, it's like how many of those guys actually get to like a pretty high level? Yeah. I mean, I've got a question here. Again, it's from, uh, from John. Um, Go for it. And uh, he basically has asked, how best to advance or how would you best tell somebody how to advance from being an intermediate surfer? Mm. I mean, look, if I'm honest, that's a very broad question. It is, but there's a really good answer to it. Oh, one let's hear it. Come on, I want to hear it. One that I've actually already answered. So um, there, I think there's a podcast on this one and there's a couple things on this. The biggest thing for most people, I guess, is to arm yourself with knowledge in that um, when I first started on this journey, like 10 years ago, when I first met Clay, it was like, I was very kind of brought back down to earth on how much I didn't know. So if I was to go back and tell myself like what I wish when I was younger, it would be like to actually understand the movement of like how to do a cutback, how to actually like, how does that work? Cause if I can understand how it works and how it then translates to my surfboard, I'm like, 
cool, I now just need to figure that out in practice, which then like, you know, this leads to like going and trying to mimic it on land because then you take all the risk away from it, which is like, if I can do it in a skate park on a surf skate, I can feel what that movement is meant to be like. Um, and I'll put my hand up and say that I'm a much better surf skater than I am a surfer because it's so easy to put the reps in and feel it and just do it again and again and again. Um, that I wish my surfing and surf skating were kind of very much aligned, but they're not because it's just, it's so much easier to get more muscle memory in that. So by doing that, the then thing that a lot of the intermediates struggle with is that they, if you've personally made this choice of like, I want to be better at something. And this is regardless of surfing. It's just kind of life that we put pressure on ourselves. Um, when we start having expectations, we start having an ego, we start doing this, this, and this, and it just gets harder. Um, so it's kind of when you get into the surf, you're never going to surf well if you're tense, stressed, you know, angry about something, frustrated, the waves aren't doing this or that. You're not going to surf well. You're not going to surf your best. Um, and a lot of intermediates go hot and cold quite often. They'll have a one surf where it's like, yeah, I'm amazing. And then the next surf is like, why can't I even like get to my feet? Why can't I do a bottom turn? Um, we've all kind of felt these kind of things where it's really frustrating. It's just letting go when you're in the water that if you relax and if you want to focus on something, if you're relaxed and you can focus on something, then do it. But if you can't, like if you're trying to get better and you can't just relax, don't do anything, just go out and have fun and hope that your training will show in that. And if you try and just be relaxed and hopefully these things that you're learning eventually take over when you can start actively working on your surfing in the surf, do one thing, only one thing, because then it's like, if I change my board, change the beach I'm surfing at, change my takeoff position, change where I'm looking on my takeoff, change how I move, how I, where I'm looking. It's like, how do you know what's working? You have no clue what is the one thing that's changing your surfing. Whereas if it's like, don't change your board quite often is pretty much what I tell the most people. Like if you're struggling, it's more likely something else. Um, there's, there are dud boards, but most boards are pretty forgiving for most people these days. Um, it's kind of like change one thing that you can go, okay, so I did this differently. I changed where I was looking on my bottom turn and that makes me go more vertical. It's like instantly you go, okay, by doing that, I know this is improving my surfing and giving me this. So it's kind of like, if you can just do one thing and measure it and feel it and change it, great. But you can't do five things and know what's like actually working. It's yeah, really frustrating. And then the final thing for someone who is trying to get into like a, whatever it is, if you're beginner, intermediate, intermediate, advanced, whatever labels we want to throw on it. If you're not in the surf, film everything you do in that if you're practicing stuff on land, trying to figure out the movement, surf skating, literally, again, there's a podcast on this one. It is just film everything you do, because if you can, within 15 minutes, you can have a run in a skate park, do two laps or three laps, film it, come back, review it, find one thing to fix, fix that, go again, come back, repeat the cycle. And in 15 minutes, you've changed your skating which is kind of like when I work with someone one-on-one, -on -one, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm like, do this for 30 seconds, go again, go again. All right, change this. And I'm like, you can give yourself that. Um, you've just got to like have the eye for it and to spend the time filming and reviewing 
And then the final thing would be if you do get your surfing filmed, which is incredibly hard, but there is a lot of people in the Ombi community who are willing to sit on the beach and film each other, um, which is yeah, like mental to think that that's now a thing. Like, I think it's amazing, but it's like, yeah, like hearing people actively saying, I'm not going to surf, I'm going to film you because we all want to get better. Um, yeah, it just sounds, yeah, not like too good to be true. But if that camera's on you and you can't surf comfortably, don't. Because if that's adding stress or tension, you're not going to surf well. You're just going to get frustrated. Anything to remove that frustration will be key. But if you can get filming, get it as much as possible. Because quite often you'll look at it, and there's one that sticks out, which a lot of intermediate surfers are, are afraid of, is like this guy was at the wave pool in Bristol, and he was working on his cutbacks. And we were like, okay, why didn't you wrap your cutback all the way around and like hit the foam? And he was like, oh, I don't want to like get stuck behind the whitewash. And I'm like, okay, but where are you on the wave? So it's hard for people to visualize this, but he was 10 meters in front of the pocket. And it's like, so what are you afraid of falling behind the wave when you're 10 meters ahead? Like you can fit your whole cutback in that space of the wave. You should do it. You should go for it because all you're doing is surfing on the shoulder. And it's information like that especially at the wave pools that people can get that feedback so quick and be like, why the hell am I surfing out here? Why am I not in the pocket? Why am I not doing this? Um, so yeah, very long winded answer, but there is yeah, really easy stuff that people can do. It's getting the knowledge is the hard part, understanding what's wrong and what to do. Right. I always feel that I've tried and practice a lot. I've got a surf skate. I've had one for about, you know, maybe three or four years now. And, you know, I've, I've been practicing doing the, uh, doing the Ombi surf skate drills. Mm. But what I've also found is trying to translate what I've, what I've learned into the water because, you know, now I'm from a personal point of view, set, set up my own businesses, <laughs> you know, working for myself after just leaving the military. And I don't know whether people, other people can find them themselves in this kind of situation is that I'm f don't I'm not by the water where mm. I want where I want to be all the time. So like I said at the very start of this, I you know I'm a surf snob now, which means that you know I, I I go on the selected days that I think are going to be good. My whole point in this is that when I go and I get in the water and it's good, is that I feel like sometimes that if I'm trying to practice to do something, mm. then I'm wasting my waves okay why are you afraid of wasting a wave because i've only got a limited amount of time to be there if i mm. can if i can ride a wave i'm gonna use limith as you know prime example for this you know i've had loads of really good rides over the years like super super long um if i had someone video which i have previously and had taken photos i probably sick in my mouth a little bit when I watch the, mm. the photos. Um, but, you know, I, I like having that really long ride, but to work on my turns, to stay in the pocket, work on my cutbacks, work on my snaps, work on my bottom turns, where my coffee cup hand is, mm. where my front arm is, where I'm looking on the wave. In my head, subconsciously, and I think I had this conversation with Clay, actually, is that I... If I fuck that up, I've wasted something. I've then got to go mm. and wait back in the pack again, and then I've then got to go back to it. 
But I think that's yeah. just a me thing more than anything. To be honest, that's not exclusive to you. That is like, so like for those who are listening, we do, and I'm not trying to, I guess, shamelessly plug, but we have these like monthly sessions where we talk to people about their surfing. And I don't know if you've actually been on one. Um, you may have watched some of the replays because you've got access to the training. Oh, well, I can't believe you're shaming me on my own podcast. That's shocking. <laughs> no, but I guess, um, sorry, man. That's but all right. I, I actually haven't been to the last two, so you might have been. I just, um, yeah, I've been busy. But um, what a lot of people are afraid of is wasting a wave. And a lot of this leads to people surfing the shoulder because they don't want to get caught behind the wave. They are in fear running from the pocket because they don't want to get caught. They don't want to get dumped, whatever it is. Um, it's super common, but I guess what that all leads to is your expectations, which most surfers have really shitty expectations in that they expect themselves to rip. They expect themselves like, hey, I've learned this thing on land. Now I'm going to go out and do it and I'm going to get it first time or not again to call you out. But when you list like 10 things, like I'm already internally going like, well, that's too many things. And like, you could work on something as you're paddling and positioning, something that doesn't happen when you're surfing the wave. And that's one thing. And then you can work on something that happens during like the actual surfing of a wave. When you start working on two things, three things, it's too complicated. But also like, I'd almost challenge you for this, that a lot of people want to surf better, but they're kind of afraid and I'm, this isn't a reflection on you. This is just a generalization that uh, when people want to surf better, they kind of want to go from zero to hero straight away. Like my cutback's really crap and I want to get it so that I can do it perfectly. But then they're afraid to fall on that wave in a fear of wasting the wave. And I'm kind of like, you know, what would be really exciting is if I got video, like for me personally, I would prefer to see myself do a really big turn and fail on it then make a really crappy average one where I kind of just like look at it and I cringe and I'm just like, oh, that's so slow. Like I'm barely on rail. I'm not doing this. So it's kind of almost like go out there with the intent and the expectation that you're not going to make anything and that you go to do a turn. And it's like, I just want to feel how a good turn can be. And a win is not actually riding out of it. A win is just feeling something different so that when you do that and you feel that you're like, wow, like this is amazing. I felt this, this is different. Um, and a trick for this or a really easy example that anyone can do now, there is a whole training program on this, but changing the line you take on a wave is incredibly easy physically, but it's very difficult mentally. Um, have you done this yourself? Yeah, I've, I have, um, um, go. What was the so I guess maybe I'll give some background then. So what I'm talking about is on your bottom turn to get more vertical, it is a matter of changing where you look. And that if you know how to do a bottom turn, your body will figure out the math and learn to hold the bottom turn longer. And that by looking is changing where you're projecting yourself. Uh, the first time Clay got me to do this to surf more vertically, I had this moment and I can still remember it very vividly of just being like, what the fuck? What the, what the hell was that? And I got so much acceleration and he was filming me and he pulled me into the beach, made me paddle in. And he's just like, what the hell happened? It's like, I got so much acceleration and speed. I didn't know what to do with it. I was completely shocked. I just like froze. Cause I was just like, I don't know what's going on. Like I've never surfed like that before. And he was just like, go back, do it again and fit your turn in now. 
and it was just like this physical quick change of instead of looking out across the shoulder look pretty much directly to my side and be like oh, i want to go there and the mental aspect of that and the fear and the like trying to then adjust to that takes longer than the actual physical change how did it go for you so mine was something very similar to that um you know I, i've i've been very much a kind of like what you would call a shoulder hopper so the example you came with the guy going really wide and then coming back round, so losing all mm. of his speed coming out to the shoulder and then wondering why when you're turning back you lose speed as you're coming back to the white water and then you're having to pump again to get mm. that speed back and to continue down so you know using what clay was talking about like changing the direction and getting right down on Chirrell and looking up now I found this was a one of the things that was actually quite daunting is looking up to the top of the wave in the pocket where it's going to break is quite a daunting position for somebody mm. to go to because it is literally like being on a skateboard having a little ramp that goes up onto a wall and looking up a vertical face that you're like oh my fucking god this thing is just about to break on me but that mm. is the bit that is going to launch you that is what coming up to the top of that and then coming back down again, like you're saying, is going to give you that acceleration. And once I conquered that fear of actually going up to hit that section or coming up onto that section to get the acceleration to come back down, and I did it two, three, four times, and I was comfortable with that, mm. then I could then consciously or subconsciously start working. Okay, so I'm getting the speed like you were talking about. How do I slow down? Well, I then need to put another turn in and just stay in that little area yeah. there that's going to boom, boom, knock you down every single time. And, and that, was, that, was a, that was a key point for me, I think. And, and once I started getting that, I was like, yeah, this is brilliant. And I just, you know, I, I managed to stay there all the time then. Did you have more fun doing that? Yeah. yeah Did you fail time. a lot? Uh, yeah, I got hit in the head quite a lot with the board because it's kind of like um, the, the analogy I'd use is when somebody goes abseiling, you know, they're stood on the edge of that cliff with yeah. an abseil and like as they go down, they're starting to, instead of just letting the rope go right out, so they zip down, straight down, they start edging backwards and they're like feeding it in a little bit. And if you do that and you don't commit to it, then your body goes all floppy. And I found that that board just went, like smashed me quite a lot but then when i gained that confidence i was like right this next one i'm going to hit that bottom turn i'm going to come up i'm going to keep my stance i'm going to be nice and nice and loose but keep my legs powerful and mm. then come off the top and turn all the way around i was like why the fuck haven't i been doing this you know and it, it's almost been that frustration it is it is but i've got a question for you as well did you feel like you'd wasted any of the waves learning through that process and failing uh, no. no so, really. so what's your answer to my to your question then of like being afraid to waste a wave? Don't be such a fucking pussy and just get on with it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you asked me like I'm afraid to waste a wave, but then you've you've worked on one thing and it's changed your surfing massively, and you're like, no, I didn't waste a wave, and that's like, I wish everyone would have that experience that you've had, and I I would hope that when you work on something again, just simplify it but also then like remind yourself of that experience that like that learning process and coming through it, you're not actually wasting it. When you feel it, it is like a holy shit moment. Like every time it is always like, what the hell was that the first time is always like that. 
and you're having so much more fun it's just it's worth it but it is also i will say for people who are listening it does depend on the person like some people have different attitudes to learning some people want to just go 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 learn everything some people like f this i'm just gonna do my thing yeah i i I think over time it was more of like a a a gradual thing Hmm. you know it's kind of like um I, I don't know, like like a kid going down the slide, you know, a big slide at the park is like, oh my god, this is this is massive. I'm never going to be able mm. to go on that. And they, you know, they take a couple of steps up the steps, and then the next time they go, they go up and they go all the way to the top of the steps, you know, and then they come back down, and then they sit on the edge of the slide, mm. and they go, oh, now I ain't going down that, and then they come. Do you know what I mean? So each time they progress yeah. a little bit more, and I think that's where I kind of develop that instead of like fully committing each time and just absolutely you know, losing my mind because I wasn't making the waves that I was, I think I just gradually over time kind of like tipped into yeah. it, um, which, you know, am I wasting waves? Maybe. I think it just worked for me. It's that it's different yeah. people's interpretations of how they do things is different though, isn't it? It is. And one thing I guess I was really happy to hear you say, and the explanation that you gave works very much for yourself, which was, you said you wanted to keep loose in your upper body, but powerful in your lower body, which that makes sense to you. That's your terminology and how that relates. And for other people, they'll be like, what the hell does that mean? For me to simplify that in a generalization, it was like, I feel too many intermediate surfers try too hard. And they're doing a million and one things and their arms are going in one way and their legs are going the other way. And to hear someone like, I'm just going to simplify it and do less and I'm going to feel more. I'm like, that's exactly what you need to. Let's talk a little bit about the, at the actual content um, mm-hmm. that you've got in the Ombi program at the moment. So like I said, you've got 19 different programs and the main one being the actual Ombi method itself. Mm-hmm. Um, what, where did the development come for these different programs? Because you've got, you know, you've got the bow shoe surfer, cardboard surfer, surf skating, psychology of surfing. There's lots and lots of different things that people can tap into now. So I'm going to give a very bad explanation because a lot of it comes <laughs> from clay. Um, but I've been there through, and, and Jeremy will be able to give a better explanation of some of this as well. But I've been through some stuff before, some stuff during, and I'm and heavily involved in other stuff. But The original stuff was like the BOSU surfer, cardboard surfer, surf skate, you know, surf psychology, the first eight programs. Um, Knowing Clay before this program came out, he was doing the BOSU ball training. That was some of the first training I ever did with him um, and surf skating. And it was that training of like how your movements affect the board and how the board will respond to your different movements and learning the muscle memory and stability and control and learning the surf skating and cardboard surfer was something that happened when I was traveling. So when I came back into the mix, it was really interesting because that was more people learning to control and coordinate their bodies without being super heavy on the back foot or anything like that, how to create speed. And a lot of people kind of turn their eyes and being like, what piece of cardboard is going to, what's that going to teach me about surfing? And it's like, well, it's going to teach you how to use your stance and use your body. And, you know, if you can't slide a piece of cardboard, you don't, really know how to use your body so all of that stuff those first initial eight programs and they've got that surf psychology one which is like i think probably one of the best programs we've done in in the past just because it was no one else is kind of talking about the mental aspect of things um so there's a lot of tools in that 
but that was all done without me. So I had no input in that. And then that was when the guys started talking to me about getting feedback on the programs. And then I got involved heavily. And then we had the 12 week program come out, which is now like surf smart, um, the intermediates program. So we labeled them just like, this is the beginner program. This is the intermediate program. I guess the mindset behind that, again, it's all Clay's coaching, but this idea kind of came from Jeremy and I were talking and I was like, I feel we need a structured like approach to the training that people can kind of just check in and check out and that people need like a pathway of like, where do I go? I'm like, we kind of just need to do like a 12 week program of like, you can get all the training of these eight programs and we're going to layer them in the right order and give you the right process. And we're going to add on top of them and give you all new training. And that's where that kind of came from. And that's been like the biggest program. It's the number one program we recommend for pretty much anyone coming in. Like most people are intermediate and we're like, start there because that will then introduce you to everything. And then from there, you can branch out on what you want to work on. And then we eventually, we brought out the, Ant brought out his Mindsurfer program, which is a visualization program, um, which I have no insight on that because that was done um, with the guys. And then I was talking to the guys and I was just saying, look, we've got Clay, Master Shaper, done it for 20 odd years. Like we need to get a board design course out that's just going to help people educate them to like, if they want to buy a board or ride the right board, because a lot of people are riding the wrong boards or they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, so that came about and it was just kind of, I wasn't really hands-on. I just threw the idea out there and then the boys, Clay, Nico and Ant just went off and did it. And I think they've done a pretty good job. And that was then kind of started this year. Um, I was like, well, we're missing, there's a lot of people who were saying the 12 week program, the intermediate training program was too advanced for them. And I was like, okay, well, we need to like invest time into a beginner course. And we're like, well, you know, a lot of that initial beginner stuff comes from uh, just not knowing and there's a lot less and they can progress. A beginner can progress to a lower intermediate a lot quicker than a lower intermediate to a high intermediate. So we came up with that training program basically giving them everything from etiquette, you know, paddling, positioning, how to catch a wave. So basically they can just catch waves, stand up right along the face and enjoy it and get to that point where they want to start learning. Um, and then we had, so Jeremy and Clay had originally done, the first thing they'd ever done together was this booklet, which is now the Ombi Method ebook that's been out for a while. That's completely free. I was looking at that and looking at a couple other things. And I was like, look, I think we kind of need to really focus on Clay's coaching and just like explaining it to people and like what it is, which is what you now know as the Ombi method. So when I was in Oz, I spoke to the guys and this is one of the programs I had a lot to do with in that I sat with Clay for pretty much every video, the whole structure, worked through it with the team. So the Ombi method was really like, we need to tell the story of, what, how to actually improve your training, what you're going to go through, how your surfing is going to feel, what you want to understand and know. And a lot of these things that I guess for lack of a better phrase that surfers feel understood that like, Hey, this is what I am going through. This is maybe why things suck sometimes, maybe why I'm running hot. And I think it's one of the best programs we've done just because it feels like people can go out and teach you how to do a bottom turn, but no one's explaining the process, the learning experience that you're going to go through and to wrap it in a way that makes sense because 
to use, I guess, something that we all use at work and Ombi is that surfing doesn't make sense to surfers in that the explanation makes no sense if you've never felt a good bottom turn before. If you're just like, oh, like go and do a deep bottom turn, like what does that actually mean? And a lot of people are like, I don't know how to do a deep bottom turn. Do I just push harder? And I'm like, well, no, to be honest, you could just change where you're looking and you'll go more vertical and you'll hold the turn longer. And that's an easier way of explaining it than saying do a deep bottom turn. And then most recently, which is where the number of programs has blown out is, again, this was something that I've heavily involved in at the beginning. I've now kind of, now that I'm back in England, I the guys just kind of run with it. But we've now got these monthly challenges, which I guess what our goal with that is that we want to have one training program for every maneuver. So if someone wants to work on the bottom turn, the cutback, the floater, just surfing backhand, whatever it is, we want a just dedicated program on that. And it was quick. It gave you all the training you needed, but we also through the journey that we've gone through having this, you know, giant community, a lot of feedback from surfers, seeing how people use the program, talking to people like yourself and hearing everyone's it's like, when you told me your story of your friends, like understanding what works for people and what connects them, we needed to like break down the training in a whole new system than what we were doing before, which is where it came from. Like when I said what I wish I knew when I was younger, this is kind of what's heavily led to the development of the programs is that we need to explain to someone why, like what is the thing that you're trying to do and how does it work? Cause if you don't know how to physically do a cutback, how are you going to try and do it? It just doesn't really make sense. You can't really figure it out unless you just fumble your way through it. And then the second step was like, okay, well, we've, everything's about OMBI, which is ocean mind body equipment. And a lot of people didn't know that there's an order to that. So like, we need a breakdown. If you're just doing a cutback, like it starts with paying attention to the ocean first. Like, where are you doing the cutback? Like, where is your mind at? Are you tense? Are you stressed? Do you know how to do the movement? And then if you look at your body, is your body like doing the movement properly? Are you stressed? Are you tense? Are you locking up? Is your body closing up? What's going on with your body? And then the final thing, the last thing we change is like, how's your board? Like, is your equipment suited to do a cutback? Are you on a giant foamy or are you on a long board or are you on a board that's giving you too much response? Do you need to be on something a little bit easier so that you can feel it? And we're like, okay, well, so we need to break these things down and really explain it so people can get it um, a little bit deeper. And then it was all about skill acquisition, which was like, do your land-based training, do your water-based training. And that's kind of what we did before <clears throat> in all of our training programs. And I kind of felt that wasn't enough in that most people, like, if we're trying to change something in someone's surfing, the thing holding them back is either they don't know what the feeling is or they're afraid. So it was like, everything in surfing is about feeling. So we need to tell them how to find the feeling. So if we use that, like how to fix your bottom turn, which is really just about changing where you look. And then we need to describe the feeling, which is like, you're going to feel this sudden acceleration and you're going to have this holy shit moment. What was that? And for someone to get better, I was like, we have to include that because if they don't know what they're looking for, you kind of have to give them a goalpost of like, you need to run till you get to this point till you feel something like this. And it may be explained differently to you. Everyone has a different explanation of what they feel, but I was like, you're going to want to feel something like this. 
And then the final thing is again, using the same example and exactly what you went through is like, how do we turn the fear into fun? And just that if this is something you've struggled with, if you can't get over the hump, we need to give you tips on how you can change that. And then that's kind of what's formed the whole monthly challenges, which is like our catalog of maneuvers. And that's kind of the training programs and kind of also the lifespan of them, how they've come to be. So now we're just kind of pumping out one new training program every month and breaking down the drills from beginner to intermediate to advanced. So people can just check in and be like, cool, I'm at this level. I can do this already. I can just start along this pathway and go from there, which has been really well received. A lot of people have been like, I'm so glad you've just given training for everything. So if I want to be advanced, I can just go straight to my section. You've given me all the tools I need, which is, yeah, it's been amazing. I think from the training programs that are out there, what makes it quite unique, again, not blowing smoke up your ass or mm. anything like that, but you know, like you're saying, you, you've broken everything down into into the segments, into like bite-sized learning, basically, that, that mm. everybody can, that everyone can understand and relate to. And, and that, I think sometimes, you know, if you go back to the old days where you had the DVDs where, or the VHSs where you saw these pros and you had a little bit of an arrow going up saying, he's coming up here and doing this mm. and then coming back. But like you're saying there, you know, you're not really explaining that he's rotating his hips, he's compressing his 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 legs, he's looking here, mm. and and when he comes back round, you know, the the whole the whole ombi concept and everything that is within the content um, has made it really user friendly, I think, and and I think that's mm. what I, I've got a question here. I was going to ask you is. Okay well you've already answered it basically you know what makes what what makes it you know more unique than other training programs out there but like i said you've already answered it because it's yeah. it's answering the questions that people want to know instead of just saying you know how do i get more vertical you do a deeper bottom turn and make your board face there you've kind of broken it down to say this is what needs to happen and i think again it's something that's been crying out for years and years and years and without having access and paying hundreds of pounds to a pro to try and get you somewhere in a couple of sessions, which is never going to happen. Mm. You've got something that people can keep and they can work on themselves, which is, you know, which is pretty cool really. Yeah. I think to expand on that, it's also just tough love, um, which I feel is kind of needed in, in surfing in that it is really difficult. It is one of the most difficult sports, like I've got a variety of interests and things that I, I like doing and I'm very much a self learner. Surfing is the hardest sport skill activity I can think of that I've done in my entire life. I'm like to learn that just not having the repeatability, the same conditions over and over and over. Um, yeah, it's a difficult sport and having tough love, just like, like you have to do it this way. Like it is what it is. Just accept it, drop the ego, get in. Um, I think clay is a massive part of what makes it different in that first person to really explain it in such an easy way and to simplify it, to drop the ego and just be like, this is the root problem. Cause like, as you said, a lot of people want, they want to fix the symptoms. Like I want to feel, I want to surf faster and I want to do this, but they they don't want to surf in the pocket. 
they still want to surf out in the safety and it's like okay well you need to confront your mental fears that you have around whatever it is um and i feel yeah that yeah a lot of people just kind of tell you to do things without telling you how to actually do it or how to overcome your fears which is a big big difference on another note sport are you going to watch the wsl finals oh you're not really into that i used to be massively and then i think this is my personal opinion but the over americanization of it um and i guess their push for mainstream which is what they should have done the business is starting to become profitable it's going to give them more opportunities yada 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 i feel really disengaged with it um in the sense that there's no personalities anymore i kind of get really annoyed when i hear every like post heat interview is just like oh yeah everyone's my best friend and i just take it one heat at a time and i just want to surf good i'm like can someone just like want to rip someone's head off and like when i'm like yeah i'm so stoked i beat him like piss him off or piss her off and blah 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 i'm like give us something give us some kind of emotion it's very become very robotic um i generally don't you know listen to the commentary i turn it off i mean i should love listening to the bar uh to bar yeah Lynch. Uh, yeah he, he he was amazing because you know he he actually sort of like subliminally used to put those little things into there as well uh, yeah. you know what you're saying about you know dissing other opponents and stuff like that you know a little bit of banter but um you know when when the when he went i kind of just put put it on mute i love it i really do i i love watching it um it annoys me the amount of ads like watching youtube you know you stick something on and i'm watching like the ufc or something like that and then you know bet 365 comes on every two minutes mm. and i'm like I, if i wanted to gamble i'd go and get the app and i'd gamble yeah but i don't want to watch yeah. that shit um but, but i love watching it and um get ad blocker <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> when it's actually in the programming you can't just ad block the yeah. program okay yeah but you can't do that to the wsl i feel a bit bad doing it sometimes but it's also then super awkward because they just have a stay tuned and there's like a zoomed out footage of people on the beach and i'm like okay this is really not much better than the ads yeah well if you watch the youtube replay afterwards i just fast forward it into the heats mm. that i want to watch or you know you, yeah um but, you know i i really enjoy watching it i i enjoy watching it for what it is and i and i'm kind of like it's just an elongated rugby game now yeah i haven't enjoyed it as much the last like memorable like i used to watch every contest as much as i could i remember being awake at random hours of the night in oz to to watch um certain events a lot of them have, yeah, just felt really stale or they end up in really crappy conditions. I saw a clip the other day of somewhere in America and it was like not even knee high and they were riding they were in a contest and I was like, well, that is terrible. Like, admittedly, they're doing the right thing in like scaling down competitors to get them cheaper running events and running people in shorter windows and having forecast windows longer. And yeah, I kind of wish they'd take a bit of the big wave approach like when the swells there, go there, but financially that's just not applicable but like the last really memorable contest was the the cape fear one in like oh 2015 2016 
I don't know if you saw that one. It's the Red Bull Cape Fear one no, in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. That was watching that live coming home from uni, like all my housemates were sitting there just mental. And it was just average Joe surfers. And, you know, there's a couple of pros in there, but it was, yeah, like there hasn't been a big contest like that in a while that like you can't turn it off. Whereas I feel a lot of the WSL heats, I'm like, I'll see who's coming up. I'm like, ah, I don't like their surfing. I don't like their surfing. I didn't mind the Mexico event. I, I, I like that, you know, um, mm. where is it? You know, surfing the point break there. I mean, you're know, granted watching, it's kind of like watching bells really. There's only so much you can do on a wave like that. Yeah. That's not, you know, that isn't um, repetitive. Mm. But okay, you could argue, you know, watching the guy surfing like Chopu or somewhere like that, or Tia Hopu, whatever they say on mm. the WSL, which is mental. Anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, but you know, watching those guys in there where they're just taking off and getting a barrel, but them mm. barrels are like, if you understand the 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 consequence of that, but then you know, once you've watched the you know, nineteen hours of it, it kind of yeah breaks you a little bit, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I did watch the actual Padang Padang Cup. Uh, it came on while I was working uh, and I saw the last maybe two hours, which is really good because it's just like it's on when good surf's on, which, you know, I'm a big proponent of surf shitty waves, go surf different conditions to get better as a surfer. But when I want to watch pro surf, I'm like, man, can we just see them in really good waves doing the best they can do? Uh, yeah, I just kind of. Yeah, but I think it's the commentary. It's probably just become like a cricket thing now where you should just turn it on, clean the house, do some chores, check in when you check in. Exactly. Dude, let's finish on a uh, a little bit of a quick fire round. Mm -hmm. Go for it. Okay, so the first question is, if you had one fin set up, one surfboard fin set up for the rest of your life, would it be a single fin, twin fin, thruster, bonds, a quad, two plus one, or finless? I'd probably go thruster, even though I don't have many thrusters at the moment. <laughs> Teal coffee. Uh, black coffee. Favorite place to surf? Oh, down where my extended family live, which is northern New South Wales, the mid-north coast. It's about three hours north of Sydney. Pre-COVID, it was amazing. Post-COVID now, you know, everything's happened in the world where everyone has moved out of every major city. But a uh, little local town, reef break, kind of like rock reef, um, not like a slabbing reef, just kind of more of a point. But I love going there, one, because it's tiny town, nature everywhere. I've grown up going down there my whole life. You paddle out and there's five guys out and they're like, it's crowded. For them, five guys, there's one suck rock. You can either jump on, jump off the rock to catch the wave or you can sit next to it on a higher tide and paddle it. But the fact that you can paddle there, you go out and people are like, oh, hey, man, haven't seen you in like a year. Like, what are you up to? You're back seeing the family. Uh, I went back the middle of this year and it was like 20 people. It's kind of kind of really still hasn't broken it for me, but I was just like, yeah, the magic's kind of lost. Like when it's this super core local group and everyone's accepting and the idea of five people is crazy crowded. Yeah. It goes back to the conversation at the start there, right? Yeah. Uh, the worst person to share a lineup with. Oh, it's an old university friend. Uh, we would do his name's will. I won't give his last name. He probably won't know, but he's shocking. Uh, he wouldn't pay for petrol on a trip to the beach 
would fake pretending to be asleep so he didn't have to pay for petrol. Um, and he would drop in on everyone and anyone and then laugh about it. And I just got to a point where I was like, man, if you're not even going to pay for petrol, like, um, I'm done. So, um, yeah, don't surf with him anymore. I got a great story. One of my friends, Andy, who told, uh, mentioned earlier, uh, mm. we went we went on a boat trip and uh, there was a lad similar. Obviously, he didn't pay for petrol money because we were on the boat. But anyway, um, he used to drop in on everyone and uh, yeah. and he sent this lad in. He goes, mate, get on the boat. <laughs> sent him in like a naughty schoolboy. It was uh, funny as anything. Um, I will actually add something, uh, which is no offense to him. My first surf with Ant from Ombi was just like, holy hell, what is going on? There's just so much talking and chatting and yelling and screaming, but like everything's super excitable. But I was just like, like we hadn't met each other face to face until I went to Australia because um, he came through Friends with Clay. Uh, yeah, that was like a, that first surf with him. I was just not prepared for it because how he, how he appears on camera is how he is like all the time. He just has insane amounts of energy and doesn't slow down. It is mental. I don't understand where he gets it. Just don't give him the blue smarties. That's all I have to say. Uh, yeah. Uh, the best person to share a lineup with? Uh, my partner. If you had one place to surf for the rest of your life, where would it be? Oh, if I could get uncrowded point breaks, I would. Um, but I would say, yeah, where my family live, where it is small. It's not the best wave ever. But the atmosphere makes up for it. And you got a beachy next to a reef point break, so it both kind of works. All the Ombi content and your podcast, where can people find it and uh, and watch it? Uh YouTube, Ombi, Ombi Surf, you'll find everything there. Uh the website ombi.co. The community app is community.ombi.co. So that houses basically kind of like a Facebook for Ombi. Um, so I personally don't like social media. Um, that is a great like outlet that I can just, that's kind of my social media that I can turn off all my notifications. When I open it, I can open it. I don't have to be bombarded. It's not an endless scroll. And then the podcast is in depth, the surfing podcast, which you can find wherever you get podcasts from. Brilliant. I'll stick all that stuff into the notes, mate. Thanks. Appreciate Luke, it. Luke Hardacre. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. It's been amazing talking to you, dude. Yeah, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. And that's it. If you like the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast providers and leave a little bit of a message or a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.